you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast is not a first-round draft pick. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. Well, boys, it happened. Um, remember Frank the Tank from that movie, Old School? Sure. And uh, when he said he had a nice little Saturday coming up. And um, he said he's going to Home Depot. Right. And all the uh, frat brothers laughed at him. And I remember watching that film as a 23-year-old and being like, man, that guy's finished. Well, that was my entire weekend. I, was, I made two trips to Home Depot. I didn't even use the shopping cart. I used the big one, the big like kind of truck thing where you have to put lumber and all sorts of things like that. My uh, in-laws were in town and my my father-in-law is extremely crafty as we work on this new home. Um, so all sorts of projects, man. All sorts of projects. I mean, ridiculous. Changing filters, doing some light carpentry, mm. building railings, staining wood, tending to a garden, installing locks, handles. Sweeping, raking. I'm very. Do you sore find right any now. enjoyment out of this or no? I do. It it, it really is um, a challenge. This thing, this new world I'm in of home ownership, but it is rewarding when you finish the job. The thing about it is, though, and I, anyone that is listening right now that own, owns their own home will undoubtedly agree. It never stops. You finish one project, and then the next one comes, and the next one comes. So I understand that's part of it too. But uh, yeah, nice little Saturday. I mean, the, the laundry list of activities that you listed are probably on the lowest um, end of the spectrum of things that I'm skilled at. I, I'm not skilled at those things. And, um, Me either. And you know yeah. what's interesting about this stuff? Like, you come out of these weekends in Bolden. Like, I, I have all these bricks randomly that were left behind by the previous owner. And now I'm, like, looking at, ooh, can I like, brick and mortar the front of this house? It's like, no, you can't. But you start to feel like you have the ability. And I guess – with practice and, and reps, you do become more mm. handy uh, because I, I could speak for myself and probably the, the total of the around the NFL podcast. We're not like the manliest men when it comes to, you know, working with our hands and things of that nature. So you're kind of coming from behind and we're on the comeback trail, though, or at least I am. Yeah, I mean, I am I, not. If we go no. to Home Depot, I just distract the kids for as long as we're there so emica can do all the buying and doing whatever's going on but that's why you know i'm team team rent here i don't have to worry about that stuff my perfect weekend day is is an overcast not sunny beach day you get there as early as possible you you spend the time at the beach you leave maybe a little you know a little after lunchtime and then the kids are kind of wiped out the rest of the day that's a perfect saturday for me and i've done it Weekly, I would say during the pandemic, it's been. Great. I would I would put myself in the category that's probably um, Dan is clearly pleased the wife with this um, home purchase. I mean, you're you're an all star category at this point, and you've crossed over to a certain world where you really um, the no complaints could be lodged against you for the most part. 
Um, Greg's activities outside of work seem to me also to be um, largely of the pleasing wife variety and himself. But I mean, it, it aligns. Um, I don't feel to be part of either of these universes in any way. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could purchase things at Home Depot. Um, my dad was quite crafty at that stuff. But when you have a rental, rental mindset, the last thing I do is hammer anything or, or, or touch a wall or re-carpet any patch of floor. And I think that ties into it's a generational thing because our parents were all buying their first homes when they were 22 or whatever, sure. 23, and raising families. And you have to learn that stuff um, right away. Whereas our generation, at least in this country, like it's almost unheard of to own a home before you're even 30 unless you come from a considerable means or even big 35. Cities, yeah. There's I mean, a whole other world outside of these big cities we that right. we always live in, but yeah, you're right. No, yeah, I mean I I can only yeah, can only speak for where I've lived in New York and and now in LA, but uh yeah, it's uh you know, it's rewarding though, I will say. Well, I'm, I'm ha- yeah, we're excited to come nice. over and see the house, Greg and I. We're going to come over the two of us and just the have two of you. I like that. Yeah, I, just the I like two of it. us. Um, all right. Good stuff. Good Monday. It's the Monday show. Just three heroes and Ricky. I, I see Ricky as a hero as well. A heroine. Um, a heroine. Is that in play still? Are we oh, still maybe doing heroine? Because we've, we've kind of dropped actress from the lexicon. Uh, it's it's actor. Um, I didn't know if heroine is out now as well. No, she's. I, I probably misstepped there. I, I feel like actress is still in the mix, but heroine is is great in multiple ways, as you know, to describe a a, a woman hero. Ricky, or come just in. To I mean, help us out. We're drowning here. Just I mean, it, at its base, it's a compliment. I mean, it's not you're not taking a jab at someone, but yeah. Yeah, no, I would say that I I am heroin to you guys. Ah, right. well played, well played. All right. Um, all right, thanks for stopping in, Erica. All right, today's show. Um, we are going to have some fun again. This is on my radar. It's, I, I think it's on everyone's radar. Uh, this the seventeen game season. Yes, it's more football, um, but it's hard to like kind of look at certain things the same way. So for instance, we're going to talk about some PFF pro football focus uh, released their latest win projections for each of the 32 teams. And it's, it's just messing with my head because I'm looking at the totals and I'm like, Oh, this team is, you know, supposed to win 10 games. Oh, that's a, that's a good season. That's 10 and six or maybe 11 and five. No, no, no. Now that's a 10 and seven season, nine wins. No, that's a nine and eight season. What does it even mean anymore? It's, it's going to take a while to get used to this Mark. Yeah, no, I, in fact, we've, you know, taken a look at this list as a group and I, I I didn't even think about that the first time we did, because I'm still (laughs) in that 16 game mindset. Um, It totally changes things. You win nine games, you're essentially average. Well, I feel like Vegas will win at least like an extra 10% on win totals this year just for like the 10 to 20% of people that forget about it and just yeah. like start betting on the wrong, on the <laughs> wrong total. That's true. So we'll check that out. Uh, but first, let's uh, do some news. Ricky, hit it. 7-10. Come on, man. 10 The 7-10 only been made on television three times in the history of professional bowling on TV. Come on, kid, do it. Oh, he did it! He did it! He got the 7-10, Randy! Oh he did God. it! woo My goodness, the ginger assassin just dropped the 7-10! You bet, kid! You bet! <laughs> oh, yeah! The ginger assassin, they call him. 18-year-old kid rolls a 7-10 split. Third time ever. Or I guess he was the fourth time ever to do it on, on, on television. 
Good. Ricky, can you get me his actual name? I just, although Ginger Assassin's an incredible name. Who needs uh, an actual name? And maybe, maybe with Andy Dalton's got another, you know, three to five years in the NFL. I had called him the glowing ginger man early mm. in my NFL media run. I know a lot of people uh, call him the red rocket. I believe it was red rifle. Was? Red rifle. Yeah. Um, maybe ginger assassin is what we should go with for Andy going forward. Mm. Anthony like Newer that. is the uh, young bowler's name. Congratulations to you, young man. I mean, he's got to assassinate some people to get that. The bowler is clearly assassinating. Were you watching pins. bowling or something this weekend? A- after the Celtics game yesterday, by the way, I started flipping and the kids were around. And um, we saw some World Axe Throwing League championships oh, on cool. ESPN. That is next level. People, kids were into that. I watched a little uh, little Yankees um, Rays and then a little bit of the Masters, just a tiny bit. And then uh, I didn't get a chance to check out bowling. I just saw that on Twitter. But I did grow up uh, watching Saturday bowling on ABC wow. with my dad. Uh, so that is my dad. You know, Keith Hansis averaged a 185 for his entire uh, amateur career until he had to get knee replacement a couple of years back. I've told it's him to get spicy. back into it, get it yeah. on the senior tour, but uh, so far, uh, no dice there. All right. The ginger assassin. All right, let's get to the news. Uh, starting with what's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, if you are at all plugged in or just paying attention, you know something is off in the mix uh, with the Eagles right now. Um, with Doug Peterson being fired uh, with... Um, Howie Roseman's still there. Jeff Lurie, the owner, uh, very plugged in, perhaps too plugged in. And in general, that entire Super Bowl team, a legendary team in the city of Philadelphia, uh, beat the Patriots in that shootout uh, in the 2017 season. Basically gone, wiped away. So what's going on behind the scenes? The Athletic did a great uh, breakdown. Shield Capadia, Bo Wolf, Zach Berman worked together on a piece uh, digging into it. And Greg, it, it... a lot of angles and a lot of ways to jump into this. But for me, the biggest takeaway was the danger when the owner gets too involved and most, and most specifically on the personnel side and how that could lead to a domino effect that could create a lot of issues in an organization. What did you take out of it? Yeah, I agree that Jeffrey Lurie has probably been more involved throughout than has been reported that if he's putting his finger on the scale, as they said, with some of these draft picks, that's problematic. That he's watching tape, it's like, come on. And that the situation that they're in now with a lot of backbiting, and you can pretty much put it together here, that it's a lot of fired Eagles coaches and or personnel and or personnel people you know, complaining about the setup where ultimately Jeffrey Lurie, they thought, was listening to, to too much of the analytics side, but also that you know, the analytics side, Howie Roseman is like in this difficult spot too, where it's like Lurie's almost intentionally pitting the two sides against each other. And Lewis Riddick, you know, I feel comfortable talking about him because he's been on record about it. Granted, this was four or five years ago when he got fired, you know, just thought the whole setup was a, was a problem. And you're seeing all these football guys who may not be inclined to trust the Howie analytics side, even in the least bit from the get go. And then Lurie almost sets it up in a way where he's the kingmaker and he's choosing which side he wants to, to, to believe at a certain level. And it's like, you're just asking for, for problems, but it's amazing that Howie's kind of survived all of it. I love some of the little details in this um, that talked about Jeffrey Lurie 
huddled away in uh, his, his basement or above his garage or something, watching the blue-gray game and the Senior Bowl and the Japan Bowl. It's just like <sighs> he's very, very dug in. I That's mean, when here's he bought the, thing, the team. Though. That was from a Peter King article decades ago when he first bought the team. So he's right. always I mean, been he, into he, it, but he's starting, it seems, or maybe not starting, but has really ramped up his presence in terms of making day-to-day decisions. I don't know. The thing is, though, it's like, look, the Eagles are worth $3.4 billion dollars. He, he's he's the money man. It's his it's his business. Unlike some owners, he is football first, and he goes to every practice. It's at, it's his um, I guess it's his prerogative to be as involved as he wants. But I, I would point to what Greg said too. The structure of that organization seemed to stir up um, suspicion and animosity between an analytics department that a couple of years ago was the bell of the ball. Everyone always talking about the forward thinking Eagles and how ha- they had especially that the whole... Eagles, the Eagles, talking especially about the Eagles, that. letting no, everyone know. Well, they were getting, I mean, if you go back and look at like old Roto world posts and stuff, they are just getting glowing reports from everyone. And the bottom line is there's always going to be a fissure between coaches and the analytics wave. And um, I mean, Roseman is a friend and he's probably been kept around. Um, Longer than I think he's probably the central antagonist to most Eagles fans because he's sort of he, yes, they won a Super Bowl, but he also like clung to that roster way too long. The coaches in the Philadelphia to me seem as depowered as they are um, almost anywhere, maybe outside of Dallas. And, um, you know, the way that Doug Peterson was treated, you can understand why he was um, pissed off, as he said, and frustrated and probably felt not listened to. And it made me to spin it forward, it makes me look at Nick Sirianni and say, you weren't the first choice, but you're going to play. You're going to be a good little boy that does what the rest of this power structure wants to do. Yeah, and Sirianni makes a lot of sense that that he's he he must know what he's getting into here because you don't say no to a head coaching opportunity. And it wasn't like he was the hottest name on the market. Um, and but when you look at it, when Andy Reid was the coach for 14 years, they never had these Tuesday meetings um, with the head coach and the GM. It's Laurie. It's Roseman, and it was Doug Peterson every Tuesday. And win or lose, according to this athletic uh, piece, they would sit down and go over the things that Doug Peterson did wrong. And I can't imagine how, how that must have I'm pissed off, Angelo. Yeah, I get it. I get it, Doug. How that would grind on you as a coach where you're just being uh, meticulously picked apart. And it g- gave me two thoughts. One, yes, I think Sirianni, it's unfair to say he's like a puppet and all this, but very clearly he's going to have a defined role in the organization and it's not a very loud voice. And two, and maybe think Doug Peterson, he's, I guess he's out of football right now. Um, whoever hires him next, I feel better about him because if anything, uh, he dealt with a lot of garbage behind the scenes and still put together a winning team for several years, including a Super Bowl champion. Right. There's a couple of things that aren't mentioned in the piece, which is that they've been the most injured team in the NFL in like three straight years. And so, sometimes like I just feel like that's a huge part of it. Like their roster looked awesome. And other than last year, they still ended up making the playoffs and usually into the divisional round, like getting over these injuries. But I think like how you handle success is not just like players want more money. It's everyone. It's the owner who suddenly, as you mentioned, like wants a lot of the credit. Like, look, look who's important. Like, let's put it out there. It's the GM who wants a lot of the credit and putting out how great they are. It's the coach who wants a lot of the credit. And it's the team trying to make tough decisions of thinking they're in this window to win a bunch of Super Bowls and maybe making not making the best personnel decisions. It's one of the reasons why the Patriots run. I don't think will ever be duplicated just because like there's so many problems of dealing with success. 
and uh, and they're showing it. Like, I don't know. I don't know how long Sirianni is going to be able to last. They're, he's probably got about a two-year window or else they're going to blow up this whole thing. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the Patriots because they came to mind because of any team in sports, or at least in the NFL, I mean, their coach is their GM, essentially, is their final, you know, outside of the owner once in a while. Belichick doesn't have to worry about these layers of um, external power pressing against each other. And, I mean, as a Jets fan, Dan, and as a Browns fan, it's like, I feel like I've read... 20 hit pieces. This wasn't a hit piece, but 20 (laughs) in-depth reports about what's wrong in Cleveland over the past 20 years. Um, And the same with the Jets. And it's like, it's just poor organization. It's it's poor structure. And it's um, infighting. And it's ego. And it's a desire for power and money. And it's like, this story has been going on for thousands of years. The Eagles are just like today's version of it. And and you bring up Belichick and the Patriots. It's funny. There's no like... There's no perfect way to do it because Belichick is the be-all, end-all up there. And when you look at their their past four or five years of drafts, maybe it would help to have someone else's voice and there'd be something in there. I think what it comes down to is you have to find that balance. And, the, and the, everyone needs to be talking together. And the analytics department has to be playing ball with the GM and the owner and, and the scouts. And, and I think that's just such a hard thing to get right. And the organizations that manage it build a long-term winner and the and the organizations that don't, maybe you flash and you you get an improbable Super Bowl victory like the Eagles did, uh, but then it comes back and and it will come back to bite you. Like Howie Roseman, I thought thought that was interesting too. How what he was when he was famously and we've joked about it for years that he was banished to the Poconos uh, by Jeffrey Lurie when Chip Kelly was hired and was giving given team building skills. And they sent him to the opposite side of the NovaCare complex. That was the non-football side, which was a huge <laughs> slap in the face to Roseman. And he he said later on that that helped inform how I changed the way I do my business. Although he has kind of gone back and to his earlier form. Apparently, he did the same thing to the analytics guy um, that he wasn't happy with, sending banishing him to the opposite end of the building. It's just like whoa, and it's a, it's a big soap opera ultimately. It's fun. It's fun. It's to get fun these for us. Dynamics. I mean. Uh... The thing with like the owner meeting, like that's very typical, by the way, like an owner meeting with his coach to go over and and now whether the tone the of it be- though, yeah, I think right, the, the tone yeah. is what stands the, out. It's not exactly, it's, you know. but you're also getting this tone from you can assume the coach's side of things, and I think it's just winning. It's like winning papers over all this stuff. I think probably everyone had these feelings while they were winning too. Um, but it's cool because it's like the the Super Bowl raises everyone's profile and raises everyone's money and everything like that. And then the second you start losing, then the backbiting comes. Well, I mean, yeah. I would note, though, that like they talked about Lori sitting down in a sort of secret three hour meeting with Jim Schwartz, like days <laughs> into that Super Bowl winning season because right. people thought he was looking for Peterson's replacement. It just seems like they never really bought into Peterson as a, a vision guy, someone he needed to be, have his hand held. And I think you're right that those meetings every Tuesday probably became, you know, we all have things during the week. It's like the worst part of your week. And it's like that probably was Peterson's worst part of his week for years. <laughs> and again, Eagles fans are salty, and I've given them a little bit of grief for being so upset and and angry and critical in the last couple of years, considering what you have that many fan bases have never had, which is a Super Bowl title. Um, but you get it because it's it wasn't supposed to, you know, happen this quickly. Go from being a Super Bowl champion to all this dysfunction. But uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Good job by Bo Wolf, by the way, friend of the podcast, Our who's guy. involved yeah. in the reporting of that story. All right, in 
other news. Speaking of the athletic, Michael Lombardi does his thing over there. Michael Lombardi, he bounces around quite a bit. I, I can never is really he still track there. I'm not is. even sure. I, I mean, don't know. He, Maybe well, he according is. to he, yes, he is okay. there. He, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, that's that's how you make money in this business. Just stack paychecks from all over the place, you know. Anyway, Lombardi believes that the Washington football team will be willing to trade up to land a quarterback, Trey Lance, uh, North Dakota State star. We're talking about a, a Godfather type offer. Look at me; I bring up Lombardi, and now I'm bringing up Italian motion pictures, Italian American motion pictures. Uh, that's his thing. Anyway, uh, this would take a lot. Obviously, they're sitting at number 19. They are the defending division champions in the NFC East, of course, Mark. Uh, so to get up to what I assume would be, you know, around the top five to get Trey Lance, you're probably going to have to surrender everything, which they already did once before with RG3. Should they be thinking about doing that again? I just think it's an interesting. I mean, there there's a lot of varying opinions on Trey Lance and um, Lance Zierling, our guy. Um, his comparison NFL wise was Josh Allen, but he doesn't seemingly have that same um, powerful arm. Uh, he is certainly a dual threat. And, and, you know, you've got Scott Turner there, young Turner, you've got Ron Rivera. They went to a Super Bowl with Cam Newton. So you wonder if maybe that's something they've always valued. Um, if you're Ron Rivera, that kind of a quarterback that can do it all. I mean, he really is someone that with his feet, like you build an entire offense around what he can do on his feet. They talk about him being one of the smarter guys coming in at the quarterback position. You can, Read he, he set his own protections as a runner, which, you know, your center could be doing that typically. He, he, he is a, like a brainy kid, um, but not fully formed. And so I don't know what you give up for him um, to get up there, but you have to really believe it. And I wonder, I mean, it's got to be a Ron Rivera thing because this, you know, this is a team that took Dwayne Haskins a couple years ago. Trey Lance to me is, is someone that is just... Um, you look at what people say, they're all over the map. So, so Washington must be fully in belief of what he can provide. Mm. I just think there's so many teams that are going to make such big mistakes this draft because there's less information. Unless all these guys are just like good. Trey Lance is uniquely uh, a black box of a tra- draft pros- prospect. He played one game last year, which sort of didn't even count. He threw 18 passes per game the year before in the most highly schemed offense that exists, basically, Carson Wentz's North Dakota State offense, which is about as far from, like, an NFL offense as you can get. But he looks awesome. Like, a lot of people think he looks better as a prospect than, than Wentz did, for instance. And, like, everyone loves him. But it's you're, you're basing this off of 18 throws a game two years ago at the FCS level. And, man, like, you can make mistakes that way. But it's not that different with Fields and Wilson. Like, they didn't play that much either. That you know, for for like big time college quarterbacks, they're, they're in a different category too, and they have their own questions with scheme and like the you know how much the scheme helped, how much they played, and and for Wilson like the opponent. So to me, it's like yeah, these guys just like look awesome. The 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 quality of like the talent in terms of just like physicality and your arm strength. Lance, Lance to me has has a good enough more than a good enough arm. It's like they all look like grade a prospects but you just figure some of these teams are going to totally botch this you called them a black box candidate i'd never heard that before you know with a black box that 
that's usually something you don't learn what happened until you're digging through the wreckage of the airplane. So right. I'm saying, I'm so saying you don't know. Like kind of pointing your uh, <laughs> prediction and analysis here in a certain direction. No, I kind of, I'm really interested in Trey Lance just because like no one seems to know much about him, or he just seems to be the guy that's getting ignored in this process. Even though you know he's pretty fascinating, just his athleticism and, and where he comes from. The black box thing is more like, how do people really know how he's going to translate? It's a pretty big projection. Josh Allen maybe is a good comparison. Is that, is that what you just said? Yeah. Mark, well, that's what as a pro- Zierling said. Not right. Said. As a, as a prospect, that makes a lot of sense to me. Cause I think he was a really tough one to know how he would fit at the next level. I mean, Lance you know, who was a really polarizing uh, prospect last year, Justin Herbert. It, and yes. I, you know, my team has the number two overall, overall pick. I'm probably going to be, uh, rooting for Zach Wilson next year. Would I like if he had another full college season and all that stuff? Sure. But at the same time, it just feels like it's all this is a crapshoot, uh, really, no right. matter what. So it, I don't feel like the Jets are in some type of or these other teams uh, are in a total disaster situation because you could do all the research and watch all that tape you want. But when the lights go on week one or whenever these guys get the chance, that's when you finally see whether they can, you know, Greg, play the guitar. Moving on. A lot of guitar playing on this show lately. Right. Throw the football would be preferable. But None of us. Can, we should get, we should get my brother, inclined. Dean. You know, Dean, Dean went to college for a guitar. You want to you wanna see the tape, the Delaware tapes? Forget about that. We got a lot of Dean Rosenthal tapes playing all over. I would like West, to see Western, Dean tapes. Western Mass. Um, right. you know, We're not some, forgetting some about stuff, the Delaware tapes. Nice But try. also yeah. some like cover cover songs of like Kiss and uh, you know, Ugly Kid Joe and and guns and you are an A plus deflector, day. but Dan and I are not um, off the case on the Delaware the tapes, tapes, nor will we ever be off the case. And I know, I know, on your other podcast, your best buddy is like a legit celebrity, and you guys do your comedy thing. If if the Delaware tapes ever service on that show and not on this one, this whole thing's over. We are folding up shop. That that is that is <laughs> that negotiable. That would never occur to me. No, I would not do that to you. That's also giving Greg incredible power over our careers, Dan. I don't know. <laughs> I might return to still do an episode. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, up next. All right. <clears throat> this again. Josina Anderson reports free agent defensive end Jadavian Clowney <laughs> is visiting the Browns. Does this sound familiar? Yes, it does sound familiar because he already did. Uh, meet with the Browns. Uh, I don't know if it's virtual or in person, but this is back in March. No deal. And can we just, and don't take this personally, Mark. It's not about you or your favorite team. Can we please just sign with the Browns already so everybody can get all excited about their hype bounty Browns and how Clowney is going to be across from Miles Garrett, and that's going to unlock this magic that we've been waiting. Can just do it already. Just sign and then let people start writing those articles, and then we could let the games play out and then – Garrett uh, has a great year and Clowney gets hurt and does nothing. Can we just speed the process along here just a little bit? Ricky, please. And I know this is a personal sun firing because I don't want to. Maybe you guys want to do more of these. But I want to fire this where's Jadavian Clowney story going into the sun because uh, nobody needs nobody needs this much speculation considering the production. I'm sorry. Into the sun you go. Let me know where he is. I mean... You know, they also met last offseason. So this this is um, oh an elongated God. flirtation. I, I fi- I'm with meals. you. I, f- I find it ponderous. But um, to me, it tells me more about maybe what they think about 
where are they picking the draft, um, the edge rusher position in the draft, which is certainly missing a Miles Garrett type character, um, you know, pushing better guys down the list. Like maybe they want to go into the draft with this position sealed up so they can take a cornerback or the best player available. But I, but I'm with you, Dan. I find it juicy though if my team signs the player that it really um, I can't think of too many players that you're more happily antagonistic toward and not without reason, but that, but the, but the, the mat, the whole scenario there um, I find compelling if that, if it this happens, your friend, Andrew Barry, the GM, this is what, if I had a direct line to him, if I could like tap into the GM app, if it existed, if you do sign and you will sign Jadavian Clowney for a one year team friendly deal with nice incentives to the player. If he stays on the field and makes plays, do not say I have defensive end opposite of Miles Garrett covered and I don't have to worry about it and I could turn my attention to other positions in the draft. That would be a mistake. Signing him would not solve any issues. Why don't you just bring but back I, Olivier Vernon? What's going on with his Achilles? Well, I, I, mean, I thought Vernon like like closed the season very well and was exactly what they He popped an Achilles, for. though, right at the end. So right, that's, so but that, that's he's just problem. off the table right now. I don't think yeah. it solves like the position, but I think they're probably just thinking... I think it's incredible upside. I think it's incredible upside. And if you take out last year, he's been very consistent overall. I mean, he's maybe he isn't like the transformative number one overall pick, but he's better than most number one overall picks. And he's, and he's had a pretty consistent career uh, until last year. I do wonder. I think it says more about the time. Of year. We just got him, no, we got no news to talk about. Justin Houston's visiting the Ravens. Throw that in there. We just got nothing to talk about. There's no there's no news right now. My counter That's to that, Greg, me. is how come nobody wants to pay this guy? It took forever for the Titans to finally give him that he's, one year deal, and now he's I on think the market him, again in April. I think the way he plays and the the lingering injuries that he's played through are a serious concern because he plays. He's kind of like the running back that takes 250 hits every year. Is his career going to be shortened? And I think that was the concern for Clowney, and it's kind of coming out that way after last season. So I get the concern, too. Mm. Anyway, I apologize if I, I got a little fired up there, but, you know. It's we'll wait pain. until he signs. We'll wait until Thursday when he's – by then he will have signed, and then we're going to give the exact same analysis I know. again. I know, but let's just not do another Clowney story until that signing happens. And – um he was the first overall pick in, I believe, 2014, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. And this podcast started in, in July 2013. So it's like, I feel like we've been talking about this guy for a long time for somebody that's never had 10 sacks in a season. Anyway. All right. Um, Sean I hope Payton. he signs with the Jets, actually, because then you're going to be in a really weird place. He won't. Joe Douglas is too smart for that. I, lo- I trust you, Joe. Kevin James oh, will play Sean Payton in a Happy Madison picture. Happy Madison is the production company uh, owned by Adam Sandler. And uh, Adam Sandler has a extended deal with Netflix to put together these movies with his buddies and uh, put them on Netflix. And they apparently do pretty well regardless of their uh, artistic achievement. Uh, and Kevin James, the uh, full-figured uh comedic actor playing Sean Payton in a movie. What do we think about this? Well, I think, I think if I'm Kevin James and I'm reading Peter King, write about it. And like the one thing Kevin, that Peter King mentions is, well, Kevin James is going to have to lose some weight for this role. I'm thinking Ouch. like, F, I'm thinking like, who are you? Who are you to talk? First of all. And you're just talking about me like that. And by the way, Sean Payton, like Kevin James, if we're going to go there, uh, it's fluctuated over the years for certainly. 
He's a well, guy. Okay. He can no, be like jacked saying. at times, and he can he can look like the coach at the end of the season, and, uh, like his old uh, coordinator Rob Ryan. It can go back and forth. That's all. And, and King also was wrong in not understanding the uh, the business involved here. Again, Happy Madison they they don't really care what what kind of project they're putting together. They're just getting their buddies together. There's no like I need to dedicate for this role to play Sean Payton. Kevin James is going to stay exactly on his diet and. <laughs> cash the paycheck and do the movie. And then like a bunch of people will watch it on Netflix and that'll be it. I'll watch it now. I don't think they were going for like the realistic, most realistic looking Sean Payton casting choice. Cause Greg is right. There was a period and it was around 2014 or so that Sean Payton, who is now 58. So this is not easy to do transformed his body and became um, legit muscular. Like he looked awesome. Uh, And I, I think that's waned since then, but he is not young, but this happened in 2012. So you have to cast someone that looks like I mean, he did back then. He didn't really have gray hair back then. Um, no, he was a different looking guy. It's about ba- it's about Bounty Gate. Um, well, it's it's right. about yeah. the it's about the season. It Bounty Gate, I assume, will be like the almost the preface to it, and it's about the season he spent away from the game that he coaches his kids' uh, team and you know learn to love again. It is kind of funny though that the whole precursor of that is like you know, getting suspended for for taking kill shots on a quarterback. And by the way, there was a pretty well-reported, like, you know, drug um, controversy that, to me, I always felt was was part of Bounty Gate, of, like, you know, them the, the Saints got in a little trouble with some, um, how they were using prescription drugs. But I, that probably is going to be glossed over in this movie. Most I likely. do have some casting Kevin James, choices the for you. Paul, the Paul Blart male cop. <laughs> Uh, actor uh, Kevin James probably not going to hit the drug abuse behind the scenes of professional football angle very hard. Don't think so. I do have some uh, casting choices for you though, which I mentioned. Ooh, I good. It, this kind of yes. um, oh, this is good. Well, it did kind of just said, is this is it just you're giving it to your friend? So I want to throw and we could get Ricky in here if she wants to. Is this chime a slideshow? Are you? Well, wow. there are, so here it is. I would say that the vast majority of who I'm going to mention, you would just know their household names, but there's a couple where. Heard the name, but I'm not sure I could put a face to it. So I, would, I wanted to help you out there. Um, you can just sort of tell me yes or no. Well, I wasn't necessarily going there first, Ricky, but we can. Um, oh, I went by your list. Well, it's okay. So me. let's let's just say if you want to look, I'm going to start with a couple people that I think you could make look like Sean Payton. Okay. Daniel Craig, we could start with. I understand that he's like a super hottie, but. Well, th- he's fine. Yeah. Okay, I mean, but I mean, he's sort of perceived that way. If you haughty. if you dressed him up as Sean Payton, I think you got a more Sean Payton esque look than Kevin James there. Uh, no, that's just... a good one. And okay. you know what? You say when he was cast as James Bond, and he was an excellent Bond. Some of the criticism was that he wasn't quite photogenic enough to pull off James Bond, who's like a supposed to be a suave uh, Pierce Brosnan type. So yes, I think you can put him in the Sean Payton world. Uh, I like that one. Okay. Um, I, I'm just going to throw this name out. There's no photo, or maybe there is. Greg Kinnear. <laughs> There's no yeah. photo of Greg Kinnear on the internet? Well, no, no, there is. Oh, there, there he is. Uh, yep, look, that's a good one, too. They are the same age. Um, I think, you know, this movie is going to have to be a little bit dramatic in terms of the backdrop. Greg mentioned what the, you're in chaos, in, in a way, if you're Sean Payton in the, during this year of your life. And then something good has to come out of it. Greg Kinnear can kind of rainbow through that whole arc of emotions. I, I like him. Mm. And Greg Kinnear is probably available because I feel like it hasn't been too hot since uh, As Good As It Gets overall. He seems to be. Also, Um, he could play you. 
I mean, he's like a little like hotter version of you, Mark. So I, I like that as well. I like that one. Under, underrated <laughs> Kinnear, you know, a lot of range, talk soup to to dramatic stuff. Let's let's do it. Not That's much hotter pirate, than you, Mark. Steve the Pirate and Dodgeball. Can he command the room? Can he command an NFL locker room, Greg Kinnear? That, that's part of it. That's part. But of he it. also is not with an NFL locker room. Can he command sixth graders? I think he that's could. That's true. He, yeah. That's right. um, what else? How about this? Alan Tudyk. Let's throw that up there, Ricky. Yeah, we can I'm use going, the These there. are the ones where I'm going for looks. Don't know who that is. Mm. But. Oh, that's Steve the Pirate from Dodgeball. Yeah, he, job, um, he's He's been in lots of stuff, but uh, okay. Yeah. This one, I think, if you look at Sean Payton's facial structure, um, Greg German, who was famous for Ali McBeal. Uh, oh, yeah, that he, guy. No one knows who these guys are. No, I know him. He's, yeah, he's a, he's a been around the block TV actor. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Steve Zahn, I threw in there as a possibility. Zani? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because now he's a little bit older. Their age is not um, that far apart. Plus, this is um, a comedic film, most likely, and he's sure. done comedic work. Okay, he's, and he's, he a also, New or- he's a New Orleans guy. Did Treme? He was very good in Treme, actually. Okay. So that, he also seems there. available to me. Um, now these ones are just more. I'm throwing oh, yeah, out some more. household okay. names. Let's, yeah, uh, well, we can just rip through these. I don't okay. know if we have photos of these. Woody Harrelson. Yeah, he could do anything. Woody's good. I, just, I would watch that. I think you need some pop. Kevin James, at least. You know, to each his own. He's got pop. He's got a fan base. I think right. that's good. Uh, that's the why the McBeal guy, maybe not so much. Woody Harrelson, yeah, we could work. Yeah, that's that. why I'm going into more movie star um, world here. Now, this just, these ones are not for looks so much, but Steve Carell, how would he not do a great job at this? Um, no, doesn't seem like a football coach. Okay, he's, so we're, no, we got to know NFL. there. Like, that's, we're batting a pretty good batting average here so far. How about um, Dennis Quaid if he were maybe a little younger? But he's yeah. a football I need a break guy. From Quaid. I need a break. All right. Okay. So that's a no. Um, if what, you you've really, been going, you've been going heavy Quaid lately. I don't know. Whenever <laughs> we talk, whenever there's like conversations about a sports movie, everyone's like, "How about Dennis Quaid?" It's like, all right, let's just. Well, Randy I was trying Quaid. to please that per part of the room. If yeah, someone's looking no, for that kind of I'm guy, cool um, this guy may be also a little overexposed right now. But Chris Pratt, if you really wanted to pull in like a certain audience, yeah, um, too young though. I mean, I guess too, you could age too him young. up. Little too young. Up. Yeah. Uh, how about this? Um, Sean Penn. <laughs> I want to see that. I want to see that movie. I think it'll be an insane movie. Uh, Sean Penn playing the I, children. I struggle with like thing. Sean. I think, yeah, I watched Sean that. Penn in a, that. in a uh, Happy Madison production. That that That's interesting. Uh, I'm interested. I'm, I'm intrigued. That's good. The, the last per- person I would note, because this is where we are in a society at this point. Like, of course, he could do this. Sean Payton plays himself. Unsolved mystery style. Okay. I mean, you know. I need to know the tone of the film. He's providing notes. I think it's going to be a happy, you know, it's it's teaching kids and learning life lessons. And he's he's grumpy at the beginning. And then he has some hijinks with the kids. And that, that connects him to the love of the game. I, that's why Sean Penn would be at once the worst possible choice and, <laughs> yeah. the, and the one I would want to watch. Because I, <laughs> right. I heard Sean Penn lately on like a podcast and... He seems off his rocker at this point. He seems a little totally. out. He seems out there. The, the, sure the novel is. that he wrote sounds like the thing I, I like to read. The the last thing I would ever want to read is Sean Penn's novel. <laughs> um, and just, you know, one bit of unsolicited advice to Adam Sandler. When, when you're casting really anyone and you're forced to choose every time between Kevin James, Rob Schneider, and David Spade... You've probably boxed yourself in a little. Let's just open up the net <laughs> over at Happy Madison Productions. 
I mean, that would have been true 15 years ago. So it's even um, doubly true now. So Um, two quick news items before we get to the PFF win projections. First, the Cardinals who traded for DeAndre Hopkins last season, they fleeced Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans in that deal. They received something called, you know, we're up for a Cyclops, as everyone knows. And I, I heard from Ricky that the, um, live stream of the award show will be on April 21st. So we might have to find a way to connect that, uh, to the podcast when that time comes. So we got a Cyclops, a nomination, uh, Hopkins and the Cardinals more specifically received the alpha award for best sports transaction of the year. That one didn't ring quite true to me because Tom Brady feels like one of the best free agent signings ever. How do you, I mean, I know nobody wants to give Brady or his team, any more awards than they already get, but how is how do the Bucks not win that mm. hardware? Are they not judging off of the idea of what they gave in return? I mean, I'm with you. Like the most impactful signing was Tom Brady, but like if you looked at the best trade or swap, I would give that. I would give it to DeAndre. But you're what you're really saying also is that the Texans made the worst move of last offseason. Well, you know what? Um, so this yeah. is from I didn't I've never heard of this before, but it's from the Sloan Conference, which is an analytics conference. So you know they're they're saying from an analytics perspective, maybe who who used the data, who who fleeced the other team. You know who won in twenty twenty? Uh, the your New York Yankees for a player I've never heard of because I'm not a, a big baseball fan. DJ LaMatthew, that acquisition won in twenty twenty. I don't know how that yeah. held up. Yeah, he's the reigning batting champion, DJ Lay Mayhew. I don't love Mayhew. But, uh, yeah, we love DJ. We call him the machine. Uh, all right. Oh, the Sloan. People get excited about that Sloan stuff. I, 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 I want to so. know, when, I, whenever I see people tweeting about the Sloan conference and stuff, though, because they're, they're all about in, into analytics. They're all about into analyzing how to best use, like, a payroll and, and contracts. I always want to know how much are the panelists getting paid like right. and what are the differences in the panelists because that would inform like which panels you would go to like do i want kevin clark at a certain value or bill simmons at another one like that i think they should at, kevin james there right, right because they're analytics i think they should release that to the public they're all about the data they should release that data. we should we i think uh getting clark on here to say how much he got paid by sloan would be awesome for all at i least. know they don't get paid at all but i that seemed that would seem weird uh, finally in the news, oh, it's another trope alert. I told you it's my responsibility to you, the listeners, to keep you up to date on all the trope tropes alert. as we approach a 2021 trope season. Trope alert. Trope alert. Trope alert. George Patton, the general manager of the Denver Broncos, is hoping, Drew, not Peyton, forget about that. He's Patton on this show. Okay. Uh, he needs Drew Locke to, to t- take the next leap forward. Uh, and make the Broncos a playoff team. Well, guess what? Good news. Broncos guard Dalton Risner told Matt Lombardo of Fansided on his podcast last week that Drew Locke has been having film sessions with Hall of Fame QB. Wait for it. Peyton Manning. <laughs> Hit me with that trope alert again. Trope alert. Peyton Manning trope meddling alert. with a team. Ostensibly trope to alert. help them. Trope alert. But that's not always the case. That's not always the case at all. Peyton Manning meddling. Chopin. The whole the whole Peyton Manning as like a football Svengali 
has taken like narrative has taken a big hit with his undying support of Adam Gase. Like that's the guy he stood on a table on more than any other player or coach. Big time. And so it, it yep. hurt. It hurt Manning. I was thinking like that British trope lady. I don't know who she is, but I think at this point we should get together for drinks with her just to learn more about her life. She seems enjoyable. Am I wrong? Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to see who she is. She had a big impact. Sure. Yeah. She seems forceful to me. It seems like you would like to have some private time with her if you could. No, no. I said uh, as a group we would. We would. Sure. Mark definitely likes likes a forceful British woman. That's that's. I can see that. Yeah, I can totally see that. That's uncomfortable. A little change of pace, if you will. That's oh. what's happening in the news. Um, Mark, did you have something to lead us into our next segment or transition us out of this current one? Well, I can never tell what day it is anymore. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone, but it's. It, I didn't even realize we were in the double digits of April, but um, April 12th, this is just a little quick. Uh, there are some interesting things. Ah, the things double have, digits of April. They always yes. sneak up on you. Do you know what happened, <laughs> speaking of baseball, on April 12th? 144 years ago. 144 years ago. Whoa. In 1880, 1877, the first catcher's mask was used in a baseball game. Okay. I can't right? believe it took. Uh, how, how many games were played before that? Because that feels like a Four. recipe for <laughs> mouth disaster. Those guys worked in like meat packing plants back then. They didn't care. Take a yeah. baseball to the face. It's um, like, also, well, like old uh, Johnny and Billy died in the first two days of the season. So let's put on a mask. <laughs> put on a mask. So, also on April 12th, this is a significant day, 110 years later, after the first um, catcher's mask was, was featured, in 1987, 21 Jump Street premiered on Fox. Is this going to lead to you giving us more casting options for Sean Payton? Because no. if so, it's been exhausted. No, but then the other thing that happened on this date that stood out to me, which I think you guys probably, I witnessed this in person, and was it caused quite a ruckus in the tabloids in 1995, Drew Barrymore appeared on the the late show, Mm -hmm. uh, the David Letterman show, Mm -hmm. and basically jumped on his desk and um, flashed him frontally from the waist up. It was Dave's birthday. It was his birthday. That also happened on this date. So it's not just a meaningless uh, day just to cross it off the calendar and go walk around. Mark Sessler, this date in history. I like that. Um, Drew Barrymore, to show you how far things have... And by the way, that was... Drew was my girl. Like everybody had, like especially when you're younger, a celebrity that was your celebrity and you just loved everything about her. Drew Barrymore was like my ideal of the peak of what a woman could be. And so I was a huge fan of her in the 90s. Um, so when that happened, I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. She was shamed. Like shit, like her yeah. career took on water after that. And And you think about it, like if that happened today, people would be like, Oh, that was a pretty cool. Crazy thing. But back then she was basically branded with a scarlet letter. She was a bad girl. She was too naughty. And like, it, it brought up all these issues, mm. other conversations. Ricky about does her. that to us every week. It's like, that's not a big sure. deal. Weekly. <laughs> Craig. Craig's like, someone said something that made me uncomfortable. I'll be quiet. I didn't. No one said anything. Well, the Ricky part, yes, but I meant the, the Drew Barrymore. I didn't have. You had more background knowledge on on all that as a seminal moment. It was interesting to learn. Wow. All right. Well, the, you know, this really uh, the segment really landed gracefully, but I liked it overall. I, I don't think we're going to be um, that segment. I will never it. appear on this show ever again. Why not? It was, it's a good transition. It was, no, it's I just felt transition. like. This month feels um, highly anonymous to me, so I was trying to drill down for a little bit of identity, calendar identity. 
That was good. I enjoyed it, and I think it's something we should bring back. We're in Maybe between. We're in between on like the Thursday. NFL calendar. We're in between with this pandemic. We're you know it's just sort of like a transition. We're th- this is like the Nick Sirianni of months right now. It's just like get <laughs> Erica, it out of the way till we move on to the real stuff. Ricky, you could have also jumped in there and broken that uncomfortable silence when Greg turned off his mic to. Uh, well, I was gonna just himself. see how long it went. Yeah. And I was just like gonna let that play out, right. and then I was gonna come on and just flash you guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah all right good stuff greg has now left the studio he's not even on the show anymore (laughs) pff they do it everyone respects pff it's chris collinsworth's site does he get all the money like how does that work is he did he just invest in it or did he launch it where does collinsworth come down i know it's based out of cincinnati isn't it yes he did not launch it it existed um and was robust before Chris Collinsworth was ever involved. At some point he invested and became, I don't know the percentage. It seems like it's a pretty high percentage. At some point he became like one of the owners, if not the main one, but well, uh, definitely was pretty well mutually beneficial yeah. for both sides. Yeah. It sounds like Collinsworth getting definitely. involved and Big time. much respect to all those that worked tirelessly to get PFF off the ground before he arrived. That's great. Great for the Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati community. Community, no, it's been huge business. for the Cincinnati community. Just enormous. Massive. The pride. Um, all right. So they they do it every year. Um, NFL win totals always, as Greg knows very well, one of the more popular uh, ways to bet the NFL, which we do not do, by the way, because we are employees of the Shield. Uh, however, people outside of the walls of our virtual building are free to do these things and they enjoy it. And that's a big, uh, people like that in sports, the idea of wagering. Never my yes, thing. Do. It never really was my thing, but I, you know, I, I dabbled in my youth. Um, and some people are obsessive about it. Mark, did you ever get involved in, in the old days? No, no, no. Because I, I didn't end up the capital. Um, I probably spent my money poorly, if anything, but I, I gambling mm. seems like a poor way to spend it also for many people. But a little bit of horse racing. Um, when I lived in New York City, I'd go to the off-track betting um, with a couple of friends and you drink some beers. That's yeah, but some bit. of those, some of those, you if would... you ever walked into one in, in Manhattan, some of them are the end of the earth. Um, or you just take find the, the right subway one. out to Aqueduct. I, that, that, was a, sure. that was a weird afternoon that I, I partaked in there. I, I saw this, this speculation, by the way, that the NFL with this new CBA, they have an out after like five or six years, something like that. And some of the speculation is that by then, the in-game betting will, have over, have, will be such a big part of the broadcast that like it'll provide an opportunity for the NFL to take this out and like renegotiate um, things related to that, that it's providing all this extra value. We'll see. I don't know, but things have moved pretty quickly on the like betting front, including how the NFL treats it. It's not too long ago that the NFL didn't allow our, our old friend, uh, Michael Fabiano, who's no longer at the NFL, not to do this fantasy football conference with Tony Romo because like you had to, because it was, it's loosely associated with betting. And now the NFL's got owners, you know, buying betting companies, buying FanDuel, buying all this stuff. They're kind of embracing it now. What, you can't talk about that? No, now I'm being silent in case the yeah. bosses uh, listen to this and are not unhappy with you. No, Cut they wouldn't off. be. I think it's totally, I think they've they've been no, pretty clear I, I about can't. it. Roger Goodell has been out, out and about that they're, 
they're cautious, but they're cautiously like allowing this stuff now. Yeah, absolutely. Things have changed in a big way over the last 10 years. Uh, all right, let's get into it. Um, and again, this is all based not on 16 games, but 17 games. Uh, just go through the divisions. AFC East. I want, I'm just going to say what their totals are, and then you guys jump in and tell me if something doesn't pass the smell test to you one way or the mm. other, okay? Uh, they have the Bills at 10.5 as a significant division favorite. The Dolphins and Patriots sitting at 9, uh, which you know puts them right on the playoff bubble. Uh, and then the Jets, and I imagine this is a jump from last season, they're up to 7. Um, so a competitive division with the Bills is the clear favorite. Anything jump out to you there? It's a lot of faith in the Jets. I like it. I, I kind of it think is. that you look at where they were the year before. They did win a certain amount of games without with not a great team. I mean, last year, um, you know, you it's almost as hard to go winless or close to winless as it is to go 500 sometimes. And so I think they'll bounce back. It's a lot of faith in Robert Sala and in Zach Wilson, a, whoever they draft. It's a 10 loss season, though. And again, when you look at the difference yeah, well, in the schedule, but that seven and 10, would that be progress for the Jets when they just went two and 14 and they have a new quarterback? Yeah, I, I think I as tough as it is, because as Jets fans, you've been waiting over a decade just to go back to the playoffs. Uh, but would I view that as progress if the young quarterback is looking promising? Yeah, I would take seven wins. Yep. To me, that's me a big up. jump. I mean, that is a big jump from two. I get the coaching thing, but where are the defined strengths of this team personnel-wise? And then you're just counting on the rookie quarterback to be not just okay, but like to improve their quarterback position a lot. That's a lot to ask out of a rookie. That seems a little rich. And what it could be a pretty decent division there. With the it's Bills. the solid factor. Bits. It's, I guess, some of the additions, Carl Lawson, uh, C.J. Mosley back, and then you have uh, a big draft, and then it's on Joe Douglas uh, to lead the way and make those right decisions. Um, all right, in the AFC North, the Ravens are, in the same way that the Bills are, um, a significant, somewhat significant favorite uh, at 11. They have not pegged at 11, so that's uh, 11-6 and six season is where they kind of see them coming down. The Browns are up next at nine and a half, so they're kind of a bubble team, which is surprising. The Steelers eight and a half, and the Bengals six and a half. Um, this one, I think you could make a case for all these ones being interesting, Mark. Uh, but let's start with your Browns. There, it felt like twenty twenty was a stepping stone season to this being a big year for Cleveland. I kind of think it's that way, but PFF doesn't quite see it that way. It seems. Yeah, I mean, if it's a seventeen game season you're saying the odds are they probably go like nine and eight in their view i don't think that's um i don't think it's too harsh because i think the wrong thing to do is just to project cleveland into the afc title game based on what happened last season that this whole division had the easiest schedule in the league a year ago playing the nfc east and you know it really like cleveland benefited from that and they faced teams at the right time they're still a good football team um i don't have a problem with them at 9.5 um, I, I wouldn't say they're 10.5. I'd have more of issues with this, slotting the Ravens half a game above the Bills. I mean, we're a team that seems to me with a number of big questions going into the season. Right. I think the Ravens have had one of the toughest off seasons in the league. And at 11, they are third, you know, in win totals behind the Bucks and the Chiefs, the two Super Bowl teams. So that that's weird. To me, the nine and a half, like that's fifth among the AFC teams. I know that sounds like it's low, but that's not low. You, you when you're building in these probabilities, ultimately, like there's a lot of room where you have to, uh, you know, understand that 
the mean, you know, which is 500 is a powerful thing. So they're still saying that the Browns are like the fifth best team in the AFC, which that sounds about right. I love the, uh, the Steelers here probably as my number one, um, gut instinct on this entire board here is that I feel like the off season narrative is burying them way too much, putting them at eight and a half significantly behind the Ravens. I mean, what two, mm-hmm. two plus games behind a game behind the Browns. And then more importantly, right at 500, the, the Tomlin's been there for 14 years. They haven't been below 500 one time. They won 12 games last year. I just feel like there's this weird, we overrate the end of the season. And statistically, it's been shown the end of the season, which is great for the Browns. Oh, the Browns are pretty consistent. Is not any more like predictive than the beginning of the season. Ultimately, they were good enough to win 12 games. They still have a lot of those defensive pieces. I know it's been a bad off season, but if you're telling me I got all I need is a 50-50 chance to go above 500, I'm taking the Steelers. Is there. it predictive when that. your quarterback is declining over the course of that year and is not the same guy at the end of the year that he was? At no, the I don't think so. I think the the course of the whole season is more instructive, and ultimately they were a passable offense. They weren't good. But the running game was the bigger problem, and that that's still a concern. Their offensive line, and there's a lot of concerns there. Don't get me wrong. They, like if Vegas was in, were idiots, like everyone would be just making money. But I like this. As, I'm as with a you. Chance to take. I'm pounding the over there, and the Steelers were an absolute mess in December, and then that playoff loss. But man, they they went 11 weeks before they even lost one game. Before that happened, I I don't think you could throw all of that away. I would, by the way, strip one. W from Baltimore here. Knock them down to ten. Give Pittsburgh that. To if you're talking about the uh, the averaging it out, Greg, and then you get Baltimore at ten, Cleveland nine and a half, Steelers nine and a half, and keep the Bengals where they are. That I feels think, exactly like right. That. that feels exactly right. AFC South Colts the favorite at ten. The Titans right behind it nine and a half. The Jaguars uh, who went one and fifteen. Hmm, this is an interesting one. Uh, set at six and a half. And the Texans, uh, I don't know if anybody's as low as the Texans are in this exercise. In fact, they're not. There's nobody predicted to be the worst team in football, four and a half. And it is certainly within the realm of possibility that Terod Taylor is their quarterback at the start of 2021 and perhaps deep into it or even all of it. I'm cool with the Colts and Titans. The Jaguars at six and a half, just like the Jets. That's a big leap of faith for a team that was a dumpster fire last year. I'm with you. I don't see them being two games better than the Texans, for instance. I'd probably go with the Texans over just because things happen. It's not that hard to win six games. Man, that's a low low number. And uh, I don't know. This whole division is kind of reminding me of the mid uh, 2010s. I used to like write like the division power rankings, and the AFC South was kind of garbage for a while. I think we're getting back to those days. Mm. I guess that's why the Colts – number is 10 because there's a thought that they're going to be able to beat up on Jacksonville and Tennessee but I don't know the the decline to Carson Wentz I think could be a problem and and you lost your left tackle I like the structure and everything there but this is not a good division I mean that the, it, that AFC South malaise went on for so long because there were no quarterbacks in the division um, now you're saying if the Colts are going to go 10 10 wins you're suggesting that Carson Wentz you get the better version of Carson Wentz I think the Titans are a little disrespected here but I mean could they go nine They're and the same s- as the 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 Browns though right I, like it's That's pretty good I, I just I don't know if I see the Colts as a better team than, than the Titans necessarily um and the Jaguars and Texans I, I, I don't hate what they did there I think it's just you're giving a boot you're probably trying to get some action off the the Jacksonville thing, but you're not, they're not, 
they don't decide who where action come from. This is PSFs. It, they're not a voting lobby, so it is crazy to think on your quarterback. Lobby. Well, they're not a gambling house, so it's like who? I mean, I don't. I don't no, know no, what I know what you're saying. Do. Just yeah. the voting lobby thing was wild. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> AFC West. This one, I think they pretty much nailed with a. For me, I would make one slight modification. They have the Chiefs at twelve. That's the highest of any team in the league. The Chargers at nine. The Broncos at seven and a half. The Raiders at seven and a half. You know, I would probably bump up the Chargers to nine and a half and drop the Broncos wow. to seven. Uh, where do you guys come down on this? Man, I'm I'm gonna do it because of Herbert, but it's like we're just right back on the same train of giving the Chargers the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I'm not gonna do it until actually. Why are they ahead of these two teams it. that when they've been so disappointing these last two years, the Raiders have a lower win total than they did a year ago with 16 games. I know it, sometimes the offseason narrative is a little bit much. I That said, I'm probably going to be picking the Chargers to have a great season, but I don't feel confident at all. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that they're that they're so beloved. Well, I mean, if you get Derwin James back and he's healthy, yeah. um, Joey Bosa healthy, you have Austin Eckler for more time this year. You've got second year with Justin Herbert. I, I think Brandon Staley, If I, I know I get a little hot on these coaches, but – um, I don't think Brandon Staley, everything we know about him, suggests late game meltdowns and, and, and mismanaged. What do we um, know? What do we know? We don't know anything. Everything about that's him. been written about him, that he is like a football junkie, extremely detailed, that he's not going to be like a shaky um, game operator, that little things like that that seem to have mystified Chargers, brass, and coaches for like a long time. Game will be management different. in the heat of the battle, you know, these guys that are completely untested. Well, I would say that one of the most is he calling the plays for them too. Is he calling? He's a defensive coach, so it's like I mean, he wouldn't be calling their offense. But um, they've won twelve games combined the last two years. That's just my main thing. And like, yeah, we always say how talented they are. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm gonna be rooting for them and thinking they're good. But I would not feel comfortable putting any uh, money. That's they're already kind of building in that everyone likes this team with that number. Yeah, and you the point you were making, Mark, all those things make sense for the Chargers, but it never seems to really come together that way, whether it's meltdowns right. or injuries or whatever. Uh, but just I'm just like snake-bitten for, teams. For, in one of the rare instances of this, I'm trying to think more logically than with my feelings because it's like logically they should be much better than they've been. Mm-hmm. So it, so does that so are we are we chipping two games, three games off of this version of the Chargers with a new coach and new all this other stuff? Because of the weird stuff that's occurred. I don't know. How it's like I, the same. Yes, yeah, somewhat, because it's the same reason why, you know, the Ravens make sense to me as the slight favorites over the Browns, because you just give like the benefit of the doubt to the organization and the Chargers are sort of the opposite of that, where you don't you at this point, you should not give them the benefit of the doubt over in the NFC. We'll start with the East and um, PFF projects another down year for this uh, former juggernaut. And the Dallas Cowboys, of course, because it is spring and summer, are the <laughs> significant favorite to win the NFC East at nine and a half. So they seem as a nine and eight, ten and seven type team. Uh, the Washington football team uh, set at eight. The Giants at seven. The Eagles at six and a half. I am dinging the Cowboys uh, a win, and I'll give it to. I'll split it between the Giants and Eagles. So I'll, I'll knock the Cowboys down to eight and a half, Washington football team at eight, and then seven and a half for Giants and seven for Eagles. So just a mm. big stew of mediocrity uh, with the Cowboys, not above anybody. Sounds about I, right. I like that, yeah. 
I, I I'm with you that this division I it's, it does look more interesting at least. I mean, I'm what did the Cowboys? Like, I know Dak Prescott's back, but and I know we got rid of the defensive coordinator, so that's all sob because you got the guy that was coaching the Falcons. But it's like now now we're just gonna say they're head and shoulders the best team in the division. I no, I'm out of that game. I'm out. No, but if Mike McCarthy goes, you know, if they go like a soft nine and eight. Or they go eight and nine. If they go eight and nine, Mike McCarthy should be out of there because they they do on offense. They should be a top seven offense. But I they mean, could be a top seven offense and still go eight and nine. I, I don't know. I mean, North. NFC North. Let's keep moving. Packers, uh, a heavy favorite, ten and a half. Vikings, eight and a half. Bears, seven. Lions, five. Okay, I'm cool with this. I'm cool with everything yeah. here. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is probably not going to play at that level again. Maybe he will. Who knows? But uh, still, I think the Packers are just a better team than all these other uh, teams in the mix. Well, considering they've won 13 games each season, the last two, 10 and a half in a 17-game season is... is, A little low. So they're kind of building in that regression a little bit. Yeah, maybe maybe an opportunity there. Uh, I think going under on the Bears would be just kind of fun to root for feel like i don't know how they've run won as many games as they have the last couple of years i feel like like if you told me they're picking first overall next season like that wouldn't shock me i feel like they're it could totally totally fall apart so i might i'm go banging ahead. the under there i'm with you the yeah. bears are screaming they're screaming at me five and twelve right <laughs> five and twelve what the, what the, what i think the they could that? be they could be a three wait i can't even do the math what is it? three and fourteen oh my yeah. god that is that's where it that will get bad? me. If, wow. if some te- no, probably not. But if some team goes three and fourteen or four and thirteen, for some reason th- those numbers sound terrible. Oh, that scrambles my mind. I, yeah. I don't like that. Uh, all right, the NFC South. So the Bucks just pantsed the Chiefs in the Super Bowl and were basically unstoppable the last six or seven weeks of the season. But they don't get to be above the Chiefs in this exercise. They're at eleven and a half, which is a very nice season. Uh, but not uh, installed as the best team in the league, according to win projection, but still a a significant favorite here. The Saints, it has to be five years since the Saints were this low in this exercise. Uh, They're at nine. Panthers, seven and a half. Falcons, seven. Uh, Give me that half from the Panthers and give it to the Saints. So I would go 11 and a half bucks, nine and a half Saints, seven and seven for Panthers and Falcons. What about you guys? Mm-hmm. Did this come out after Sam Darnold went to Carolina? Esther. Uh, This published date says April 7th, so it was after. Okay. Hmm. So I'm into, like, checking the out-of-division schedule, and, of course, they are doing that when they're making these. And the NFC South plays the two Eastern divisions. I like that, you know, if I'm them. I'll I'll take that if I'm the Bucs. The Panthers were the one that stand out to me, though, uh, that it's a little aggressive here them improving that much uh having to go over seven right now with the quarterback situation i don't like their offensive line like a lot of questions on defense you you're you're, you need to get to eight and not eight and nine there to win that it seems a little yeah i think had they if they had they made a big splash at quarterback i'd have no problem with a higher number but i they're a question mark right now to some degree if before all this madness if they had had if they got to sean watson where would they be here? They'd be probably nine and a half or 10, you would think, right? Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and 
And you know I'm gonna bang that uh, if in in another world where we were allowed. You're banging to. the oh, over yeah. on the Saints. You don't even have to yeah, tell James. us, Greg. Yeah, you don't even have to tell us. Thank you. Uh, finally, the NFC West: the Rams and Niners. This is the only division in this whole exercise where they've installed co-favorites, both ten and a half um, Rams and Niners. So they are all in uh, PFF on the Niners getting healthy and becoming a, a force in the NFC again. The Seahawks, who fashion themselves a win-now champion level team, nine and a half. So PFF thinks they're you know a wild-card team at best. And the Cardinals, it's an important year for Cliff Kingsbury and that entire operation, they're set at eight. So a middling 500 just below team, which is not going to get it done. In fact, I think that's going to get Cliff Kingsbury fired if they finish under 500 wow. this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, if they go eight and nine, you'd have to question what the vision is there. They have their quarterback. Um, they got the Sloan Award for the greatest trade of last season to bring in DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> and they've got J.J. Watt. I know it's not the version of J.J. Watt from half a decade ago. It wasn't but... the Sloan Award either. I just want to make sure oh. we got the right it was from the their... Alpha Award. It was from the Sloan Conference. Yes, the Sloan it? Conference it Alpha Award for Best the Sports Sloan Transaction of the Year. The Sloan what they've done. So, the Sloanies. Yeah. I uh, I was more surprised by the NFC West totals than any other, um, especially the Rams and the 49ers having the same total as the Packers and the Bills, for instance. I don't. That's a lot There's of a lot projection. of buy in there. That's a lot of projection, and I like what the Rams have done the last few years, and I like the Matthew Stafford move. But yeah, I don't know. You got to see it, and then the 49ers, especially. Let's be real. Kyle Shanahan said one. I know the injuries have been crazy, but they've only had one season over 500. So they're putting up their high without really any clarity of the quarterback situation and the little concern that, you know, you're asking a lot out of a rookie potentially. I think they've shown a lot of faith in Sean McVay, a lot of faith in Kyle Shanahan, which wouldn't surprise me from from PFF. But the Niners like last year probably would have been they would have been a wild card team if they weren't ravaged by injuries. But, but I will say this, that there is a lot of projecting the Niners doing X, Y, and Z, and I do a lot of it because of Shanahan. Like, if he gets a healthy quarterback for the full season sure. and they don't make the playoffs, um, you'd have to look at what's happened with the Niners in San Francisco and say you'd expect a little more from Kyle Shanahan. So I think it's an important, very important season. If they go less than 10, you're in trouble. I'm, I'm ripping off a half win from Rams and Niners and giving it all to the Cardinals. So I'll put them at hmm. 10 Seahawks at nine and a half. They deserve to be get a little more respect for what they've done over the last 12 years or so. And uh, the Cardinals um, chill there at eight. I'm not very high on that team, even though they did win the Jumbo Award. Excuse me, the Alpha Award. <laughs> I mean, Cliff, Cliff gets a lot of heat for... Give us did, that they Cyclops! Have, they have improved their, uh, their win total significantly in each of his seasons. And even eight Ooh. wins would be... What, another you he took over really? a very bad team. No, but it's it's okay. They're okay. You don't have to fire everyone. Yeah, give us that Cyclops. Maybe we'll do like a live, like when they're announcing the award, we'll go on live on Instagram or something. We're, if we win that <laughs> Or clops. right after to say how mad we are or to how happy we are. Either right. way. Either give way. me the clops. Well, why were we not invited to the event? I mean, any gala award banquet type scenario, we'd be at a round table. would be us and probably... You know, some oh, you other podcast invited? types. You, you you weren't invited? Hey. Oh. No. I, well, hey. So you, okay. Yeah, Dan and I got this. So you guys are going to do your live Instagram from the event while I'm at my house. <laughs> Yikes. Um, someone, a shadowy league figure, emailed me 
late last week saying they were entertained by our um, general approach and reaction to our award nomination. And to that, I say, don't misconstrue where I'm coming from. I want that Cyclops and I want it bad. And if I don't get it, uh, there's going to be hell to pay. Maybe some vengeance will be declared. I don't know. Mm. I hope it doesn't get to that. I mean, I look at our competition and I respect everyone because I know how hard it is to put together a quality program. But you can't say anybody else deserves the Cyclops this year. Well, what if we lost to Mad Dog? I mean, that's like a childhood hero of ours. It feels. I mean, didn't he win like 17 Marconis during his Mike and the Mad Dog run? Can we calm down with that? Hmm. I love Chris. And, and Dan's done the work. He's listened to extensive <laughs> uh, back catalog back catalogs of all these podcasts like you know golfing, taking meticulous golfing, notes golfing joe wrestling bob and you know he's been if totally we lose to a golf podcast um it would be time for some deep introspection here. right all right who Mas- is talking who is listening to a go- i mean you know what i'm probably gonna get like i listen no, people to people love like, golf i know but to, to sit and chat about it like on a is it a three times a week grinding through the golf campaign that's brinson uh, will's twitter feed like was like uh, a live stream of his thoughts about the people, golf lo- tournament. people love it i try to like they love i'm trying it. to i'm trying to improve myself as a person enough that like i don't judge people for liking golf because it's it, after this pandemic everyone should just do whatever you enjoy go go be there but i i haven't quite gotten there yet i don't this, greg, this is, podcast I, greg is, is coming at me to some degree i do it's, judge them know. a little bit even though i, believe I, I believe was as well i believe this podcast had a bit of a defiant anti-golf streak to it uh in past years i would yeah, say that not not myself but some of the other members of the show i hey i worked at multiple golf courses i know we heard as, that as a kid. You did you were a kid i liked playing but the whole i thing did too as, greg it, and it i formed my me. opinions off of that um you know carrying like two giant golf bags up and down huge hills and making eight dollars for the entire like 18 holes in 1989 or something absurd job erica i'm just continuing the podcast right now just because you didn't jump in soon enough uh about the drew barrymore conversation it's a penalty to you oh there we go now we're all covered thank you for that um yeah, golf sucks <laughs> all right uh and will brinson if you're listening i'm sorry but you had to hear that we love right, Will. Well, it's 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 the sport that it's he's not a Will thing. A fan okay. of, yeah. Will, of course, of CBS fame. Uh, we will be back on Thursday uh, with another show, um, so make sure you check that out. And then Friday, the NFL Network program returns. We had a nice show this past week. We did some um, ATN Jeopardy. Ricky Hollywood came out on top. Uh, nice job, nice performance by Erica there. Um, Greg and- did not even make it. He didn't make it to Final Jeopardy. Jeopardy. You have to be have positive uh, cash earnings after Double Jeopardy to qualify for Final Jeopardy. And unfortunately, Greg was sitting at a goose egg, eliminating him from the competition. He was not happy about it. And he kind of hit out at me, which felt unfair because all I was was the host. Some, sometimes, though, it's not about who won the title. Like, I was the audience's favorite. You know, it's like sometimes <laughs> the actor that doesn't win the Oscar, that's the performance that everyone remembers years from now. And, and I, that's I what, saw that's you kind of as the uh, Kevin James of uh, that particular <laughs> sure. segment. The Greg German. <laughs> I can't believe Greg German was discussed in today's show. All right, that's it. Good stuff. This <laughs> Dan Anza signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss, uh, Ricky Hollywood. Behind the virtual glass. Until Thursday. Keep the call! I'm 
mean, people didn't even know Greg Derman when Ali McBeal was on the air. No, he had good pop back then. Like he would, he was like, you didn't know his name. You know I didn't know his name, but I knew exactly who he was. I, I do. I watched Ali McBeal regularly, I would say, at least for a few seasons. Yep. It was it was it was a pretty good show. I'll defend it. I'll defend it. I think it fell off the cliff pretty quick, but it was kind of fun for a while. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.